Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Transformed, Not Conformed. In this series, we want to learn to be transformed to the way of Jesus rather than conform to the patterns of this world. Thanks for joining us. I was given one of those calendars where you rip off a sheet every day, you know, and they have a different saying, so I wanted you to read the one from Thursday, January 25th. An angel offers three students a choice of wealth, wisdom, or beauty. The first student takes wealth, saying, I can hire wise men to advise me, and beautiful women will love me for my money. The woman student chooses beauty, reasoning, money follows beauty, as does happiness. If I'm happy and have enough money, I won't care about wisdom. The third student chooses wisdom and is driven to his knees in a flash of understanding. Are you all right? The others ask him. Yes, he says, nodding wisely, but now I know. I should have taken the money. (laughs) That, I thought, would be a way for us to ease into the topic we're going to be addressing this week and next, which is that topic of money. I found it fascinating this week. I read a survey done by Wells Fargo, you know, the bank, and they determined that the number one thing people don't want to talk about, not religion, not politics, not even death, 44% of Americans don't want to talk about money. Now, I find that interesting because the Bible talks about money all the time. In fact, somebody once looked at the Gospels and determined that 15% of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are are talking about this area of money and possessions and finances. And I'm convinced part of the reason God talks so much about this topic of money is because he knows there's a direct connection between our spiritual lives— And the way we think about and handle money and possessions. You see, if you're anything like me, those two areas of life are often at war with one another. It's why Jesus says hard things like, you can't serve both God and money. He knows that maybe more than anything else, money is the thing that is going to tear our hearts away from loving God completely. And so that's why, as we kind of wrap up this series we've been doing to start 2018 as a church called Transform Not Conform, we're setting aside this topic of money, as uncomfortable as it is. Now, if you haven't been with us, let me just catch you up. To start 2018, uh, we decided to look at this idea of what it means to be transformed into the image of Christ. And we got that from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which is up on the screen here. Would you read that out loud with me once again? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so the whole idea is when Jesus comes into our lives, he wants to change us. He wants to transform us. I hope you know that becoming a Christian doesn't mean just praying a prayer and one day I'll go to heaven. No. God's goal for you is so much grander than that. He has called you into a relationship, and in that relationship, he is asking you to become more and more like his son. Why? Because we are the people who are bringing his kingdom here on earth. He's invited us into this incredible adventure. The problem is, I have things in my life that aren't being transformed into the likeness of Christ. They're being conformed into the patterns of this world. And so we're looking at some of those things. I love how Jeff talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said that transformation, according to that verse in Romans, it doesn't start with our actions. Oftentimes we think that. It actually starts right here. Transformation begins with the way that we think about things. Now listen, 
Our actions are certainly going to follow. But transformation begins with the renewing of our minds. And so this morning, specifically, we're going to talk about this. If you're on your notes, the way we think about money determines the way we handle it. The way we think about money determines how we handle it. So far in this series, we've talked about the way we think about the rhythms of our daily life are going to determine how much we're able to abide in Jesus Christ. We've talked about the way we think about relationships. And this week and next, we're going to talk about how we think about money in a transformed mindset. And to do that with you this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn it to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be starting in verse 14. This is a parable that Jesus tells us. And uh, I'd love for you to take your Bible. If you don't know where that is, it's about three quarters of the way back. It's the very first book in the New Testament, Matthew 25. If you don't have your own Bible, we have some available for you in the seats underneath you there. We'd love for you to grab one of those, follow along in this incredible parable. You can find that on page 806 of those black Bibles, and we try to say this often. If you don't own your own Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those Bibles home with you as our our gift to you this morning. So here's the question, right? How are we to think about money? Well, Jesus doesn't waste any time in this parable. In fact, he tells us how we're to think about it in the very first verse, in verse 14. I have this printed on your notes. Would you be willing to read that out loud with me? He's talking about the kingdom of God and our place in it, and he says this. Read it. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now I'm going to give you a softball question right now. This is going to be easy. He's going to wake you up a little bit, right? In this story, who does the wealth belong to, the master or the servant? The master, right? It's the master's money. The master is the owner. The servant is the steward. Now, if you've been a part of Cherry Hills for any length of time, you know we use that word steward a lot. It's one of our core values as a church family. But the truth is, it's not really a commonly used word in our culture anymore today. So let's just make sure we're on the same page. And let me define it for you. If you're on your notes, a steward is someone who looks after another person's property. That's it. Pretty simple. A steward is just someone who looks after another person's property. I'll give you a very easy example so you understand. If I were to ask to borrow your car and you said yes, would I then become the owner of that car while I'm borrowing it? No. I'm stewarding your car and your expectation is after I'm done borrowing your car, I'm going to bring it back to you in one piece. I'm going to take care of what you have allowed me to borrow. That's what a steward is. This concept of stewardship, friends, is fundamental to understanding the Christian life. A Christian says, a disciple of Jesus says, everything that I have is simply on loan to me from the Lord. It's his property. And this includes things like your body, your time, your job, your spouse, your family, your friends, and your money. If you're following on your notes, if you are a Christian, a Christ follower, everything we have and are belongs to the Lord. We are God's stewards. Now listen, this is where Romans 12, 2 comes into play because this requires a major mindset, wouldn't you say? Change in mindset, wouldn't you say? We are born in a country that tells us 
very young age, that we are to be self-made and what's ours is ours. I remember when I was in high school, there was this popular shirt that was going around and I think this was like the theme of our country. It said, he who has the most toys wins. That's the mindset of the culture we live in. That's the American dream we think about. It's ingrained to us in an early age, but Jesus says, your mindset as a Christian is completely opposite of that. Disciples of Jesus know that everything we now have belongs completely to him. And he expects us to live our lives as if that were true. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Steward. Stewards. I've shared this story before, but I think it gets the concept across pretty well. There was a woman who was grocery shopping, and she filled up her cart. She paid for it. She went out to her car, and she noticed there were four men trying to steal her car. And so she was a carrier. She took out her handgun, and she forced those men to get out of her car, and they took off running. So she loads her groceries. She's a little bit shaken, obviously. She gets them in the trunk. She puts them in the back seat. She gets into the driver's seat. She takes her key. She goes to turn the ignition, and nothing happens. She tries it again, nothing happens. In frustration, she's looking around and she notices right next to her car is a car that looks just like her car. She, she made a mistake. She was stealing their car, thinking it was her car. And how often is that true of us? We think what ours is ours, but it's not ours. Here's the transformed mindset God wants us to have. If you're falling on your notes there, ownership is a myth. It's not yours. Stewardship is the reality. The parable continues in verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, a little background here. In those days, there's no big corporations like we have today. Wealth was concentrated in probably just a few households, and apparently this was one of them. And in this story, you can't understand this story if you don't understand this. Jesus is talking about staggering amounts of money. Now, the currency and culture things don't always work out together, but I was reading this week hearing that one of those bags would have been worth 20 years' worth of wages, for one of these servants. So the one who gets five bags is given a hundred years worth of his wages. Somebody made a guess and said it was $250,000 per bag. So what Jesus is talking about here is something that nobody would have ever expected to happen. And if I'm one of those servants and this is happening to me, and this is the key to understanding this parable, it would have been seen as a life-changing opportunity. Now, when I used to read this when I was younger, I used to go, oh, what an awful burden this guy is placing on them. No, 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 no. These servants would have not seen this as a burden. It was a staggering act of generosity because it's a statement to them that the master believes in them and he trusts them with his stuff. It's the same for us today. Stewardship, I hope for you, isn't a, (laughs) do I have to? Stewardship is a get-to. It's a get-to. At least that should be our mindset, because if you're following, stewardship is an invitation from a generous God. I want you to hear that. God trusts you. 
and believes in you. And he's given you some things to steward. I was thinking about this. I just recently bought a nice basketball. I like playing basketball. There's basketballs and there's nice basketballs, like the kind of basketballs you can only play inside. I bought one of those. And of course, as soon as I get home with my brand new basketball, my 11-year-old son wants to borrow my basketball. And so I have a dilemma here, right? Is he going to be responsible with this basketball? And so I kind of lay it out. I said, okay, well, here's how you can use this basketball. You don't own it. I own it. I'm going to let you use it. And I'm going to see if you're responsible with it. And he was. And it gave me joy to allow him to use that brand new basketball. Friends, whatever it is God has given you, probably more than a basketball, he believes in you and he trusts you to use that as his steward. Now, I don't know about you, I gotta come back to this almost every single day. Everything I have, everything I have is God's gift to me. He's the owner. He's the owner. Can I say that one more time? He is the owner. I'm just the steward until he returns. What an incredible privilege. Of course, I know today we read verse 15, and I know you're wondering this. Why does one of them get five and the other only gets two and the other only gets one? It's not fair. Well, it tells us why. The master knows exactly what each one of his servants can handle, and he doesn't want to burden them with something they cannot do. You know what we call that? It's called grace. It's called grace. This applies to us today, too. If you're starting to feel the weight of this message already, I just want you to hear God will never give you anything that you can't handle. He won't give you something that you don't have or you can't do, but what he does give you, he expects you to handle responsibly. He expects you to steward it for his service and for his kingdom. That's why I said the second part of stewardship is once we have the right mindset, what's going to happen? Once I'm thinking the way God thinks about money, what's going to happen? It's going to lead to action. What kind of action? Well, let's look at the rest of the parable, starting in verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. I love that. He went at once. Of course he did. It's a chance of a lifetime. He doesn't want his master to change his mind and come back like, what what was I thinking? So he goes out at once. This is the opportunity he's been waiting for, and boy, does he make the most of it. He knows that just because the master has put these resources in his hands, they weren't meant to stay there. They're not meant for him. So there's no hesitation on his part. He goes to work. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Well, no wonder this master trusted these servants so much, doubling his investment. I wonder if they invested in Amazon stocks or something, right? Like, how did they do that? Verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, we're not told until later why he decided to do this, but let me just say this. This servant wanted nothing to do with the responsibility the master had given him, and so he buries it, and he moves on with life. I'm never going to think about the master again. Now, can that happen today? Can we ignore the responsibility God has given us? I do this all the time. Maybe we think all the stuff we've been given is just meant to be for us. Maybe we think when we prayed a prayer when we were seven years old, that was the end of it. That's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. Because if you're falling on your notes there, God expects us to invest what he has given us for his glory. 
God expects us to invest what he's given us for his glory. The first two servants understand this. The third one doesn't. You understand this. Listen, if you were to set aside some money and give it to a retirement broker, your expectation is that they would be investing that for your future. What happens if 40 years after you give them that money, you show up and he goes, oh, here's your money. I put it in my desk drawer. What? You'd be furious. That was a lot of money I gave you. I had expectations that you were going to do something with it, that you were going to use it for something, that you were going to grow my kingdom. In verse 19, we come to the core of the text. Would you read it out loud on your notes there? It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So here we're told right away that they knew the expectation. There was going to be a day when the master returned and they were going to settle accounts. He expected them to do something with what he had given them in a very similar way. Friends, almost every book of the Bible tells us one day the master is coming back. And he's going to say two questions to us. What did you do with the gift I gave you of my son? And what did you do with all the other stuff I gave you for my kingdom? We're going to settle accounts with him. Different judgments going on there. You can read about that second question more in 2 Corinthians 5. But one day, we're going to stand before God, and God's going to say, I gave you the chance of a lifetime. I gave you a body. I gave you a mind. I gave you talents. I gave you a family. I gave you money, a job, possessions. I gave you spiritual gifts and so much more. What did you do with it? I can't wait to hear. How did you invest it? How would you answer that question today? Are you stewarding your life or are you burying it? Are you living it for yourself? Is your view of money being transformed by the way the Bible talks about it? Or is it being conformed to the way the world talks about it? Honestly, if Jesus were to return today, what would that conversation look like? Look at verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Now read verse 21 out loud with me on your notes. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I'll continue. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, I love these verses, and in the past, I've kind of briefly mentioned them, but this week I really dug into them a little bit. Because I want you to hear that this is really the heartbeat of this text. It's not that God is some strict taskmaster in heaven waiting for the day when we stand before him going, ah. no, it's the complete opposite. Our God is waiting for us to stand before him because he can't wait to reward us for the life that we have lived well for him. Our God is a generous God. And he is the Lord of the reward. I know that makes some Christians uncomfortable when we talk about God rewarding. Well, I don't live my life in order to get a reward from God. We're told in the New Testament, this is one of the primary motivations for obedience. That the day we're going to stand before God, we will be rewarded by him. If you're following on your notes, God rewards those who steward his resources well. 
That's not a wrong motivation. Now, what kind of reward are we talking about here? I wanted to dig into that a little bit more, and so I did. Here's what I came up with. I see three rewards we're going to receive from God. Number one, God will reward us with praise. You'll hear personal praise from God when you stand before him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't think that's going to be like an assembly line deal. Next, well done, good, no. It's going to be personal praise to you. And it's going to be the greatest encouragement note you could ever receive. I'm not talking about one of those Hallmark cards where somebody signs their name like the actual note inside is what matters, right? We spend a lot of time praising God, rightfully so. We sing to him. We have devotions. But can you imagine what it's going to be like? to stand before his throne and he is actually going to say words of praise to you. That gives me the chills just to think about it. Six simple words, but words that I want to live for. Well done, good and faithful servant. Second, God will reward us with meaningful responsibility. Meaningful responsibility. Now, I get a kick out of this. The master tells his servants, since they've been faithful with a few things, he's going to put them in charge of many things. A few things. Uh, we're talking about, like, a lot of money. And that's just a few things to God. These servants ain't seen nothing yet. The adventure for them is about to begin. Now, I don't know what you picture heaven to be like. But if you picture it where we're going to be sitting on clouds strumming harps and endless monotony, then you're probably asking the question, shouldn't I just live for this world while I can? Thankfully, that's not what the Bible says about heaven. The Bible says not only will heaven be a place of rest and relief from the burdens of this world, can't wait for that, but it will also be a place of great learning Activity, unending joy, artistic expression, exploration, discovery, deep friendships, and yes, we see here, even the chance to continue to serve the Lord in a greater capacity. Friends, of the many things heaven will be, it will not be boring. In fact, what's suggested here is that for those who steward their lives well on earth, more responsibility, or I know we don't like that word, how about more opportunity will be given to us in heaven. Now, I'm not exactly sure what this looks like, but I think it points us all the way back to Genesis 1. Part of what Jesus is doing is restoring Eden, restoring God's original intention for us as mankind who were created in God's image to co-reign and to co-rule with him, that his kingdom may come. We are his image bearers. This life is simply training us for a much better life ahead. Finally, God will reward us with eternal celebration. Number three there. Or if you want to be literal, the word is feast. An eternal feast. The master says to his servants, come and share your master's happiness. The King James Version reads, enter into the joy of the Lord. Both of those phrases are describing in the first century somebody's entrance into a banquet or a feast. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the feast that the master has prepared for you. The party is beginning. Come on in. I've reserved a seat, a place just for you. Of course, the greatest reward of all is that we will be in an unencumbered relationship with Christ. I can't wait for that. 
to strip off this flesh and to have the glorified body where I know him and I'm known by him perfectly and completely. Now, I hope you leave this morning more than anything else hearing that God's greatest desire is to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's joy. You see, friends, if you're on your notes, God experiences joy when we steward our lives well. That's the heart of this parable. But please hear this. The way you use your life here on earth is going to determine your experience of heaven. God is watching the way we live, and he does it through an apprenticeship program we're calling stewardship. Let me put it this way. You've heard that saying probably at a funeral or something. Christ is preparing a place for you in John 14. That's true. But this parable reminds us that Christ is also preparing us for that place. And he does it through this whole idea of stewardship. And the choice we have is I can either invest my life and my resources for this temporary world, or I can invest it into eternity. Pastor Jeff's going to talk about that more next week. I hope you join us, but i got to continue. I wish the parable ended here. But sadly, not everyone's going to receive this kind of reward. What happens next, friends, is a great illustration of first century whining. Listen closely to what the third servant says, because when he explains why he buries the money, who does he blame? This is what irresponsible people, look at verse 24, this, this were a movie, the soundtrack would begin to change. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. It's not my fault. I, I knew this is, you were expecting me to do some stuff. And I just wasn't into that. So here, here's what you gave me in the first place. His words reveal a, a self-centered character. Notice he's placing the blame on the master. This is who you are. I don't like that. And I wanted nothing to do with that. Instead of taking responsibility... He blames. His response should reveal one thing to us very clearly. If you're falling on your nose, the third servant didn't really know or love his master. He didn't really know him. He didn't really love him. He wanted nothing to do with him, in fact. And friends, these are still the two choices we have in life today. We either surrender to Jesus Christ as master, or another word for that is Lord, which is what four people just did as we watched them be baptized. Are you willing to let him be Lord of your life this day from now on? Yes. Or we don't. We say, no, I'm the Lord of my life, like this third servant. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, or that could be translated worthless, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. See, you knew my expectations. You knew the responsibility I placed on you. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers at least so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You could have done something. It sounds harsh to us today, but it's true. And again, we understand this. If you were to send a package to your best friend who lived across the country and you wrapped it up and you brought it to UPS 
and you found out that that UPS driver brought that package to his house and he opened it up and he's using it, you'd go, this guy doesn't get it. He's supposed to be the middleman. He's supposed to get this thing to my friend. That's the idea here, friends. Just because God has put resources in our hands doesn't mean they're supposed to be for us or they're supposed to stay there. He intends for us to use them. This parable tells us that the ones who are punished are the people who live only for themselves. They want nothing to do with God, and they certainly don't want to take responsibility with, for how they live their lives, and so ultimately God gives them what they want, an eternity apart from him. Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. When we act faithfully and responsibly, the master will entrust us with even more. So that means because Will acted faithfully and responsibly with my basketball when he asked to borrow our car one day, I might say yes. But if he proves himself faithful over time, right? It's the same idea here. The more we prove ourselves, the more God trusts us. However, if we do nothing with what we have, we'll lose whatever we had in the first place. Verse 30. And throw out that worthless servant into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the sobering part of this story. The fact that God is the Lord of the reward and he gives us the opportunity of a lifetime, that's the good news. The accountability thing, though, that's the sobering news. We say often here, though, Jesus is full of grace and truth. This parable is full of grace and truth. And the message is, I've given you an opportunity. I've given you my son. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to steward those things well? Or are you going to bury them and do nothing with them? I think Jesus warns us here because there's this tendency among human beings to think at the end, it's all going to work out. Somehow I'll be able to finagle my way or worm my way or squeeze my way or convince my way out of it. Friends, we are going to stand before him one day. And we are going to be asked to settle accounts for everything he's given us, including the incredible gift that he's given you of his son. And you're not going to be able to finesse your way out of that conversation. And you will certainly not be able to blame him. This parable teaches us that we are to use this life, this one and only life God has given us, and leverage it to the fullest. That's the transformed mindset. Refuse to take what you've been given for granted. Don't waste it. Don't make excuses. Invest it. See this life as the opportunity God intends you to see it as. So listen, as we close, let me just ask you to consider two questions together. When Jesus came on the scene, his first message was repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. So I'm going to ask you a repenting question and a believing question. Again, repenting is just a word that means changing my mind about something. Thinking what God thinks about that thing. And so here's the repenting question when it comes to money. If you're on your notes, what is my mindset toward money? Be honest with God right now. Do you view your money as being on loan or is God just an afterthought? I'm really the owner. And I might give God just a little piece of the pie. 
Do you think that money is separate from your spiritual life? Or do you see that those two are totally connected? Have you been transformed? Or are you conformed to the way the world thinks about it? Here's a challenge for you. If you had to write it on one sentence on the back of your notes, this is my mindset about money, Lord, what would you write? You have to bring things out into the light. That's what repentance is, but then we believe. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is here, and believe is that action step. And so here it is. What action do I need to take to steward my money for God? What action do I need to take to steward my money for God? What does it look like to take responsibility? Now maybe you've been sitting here and you already know. Maybe you've been poking your spouse going, you know that thing we've been talking about and putting off for three years? I think that's what he's talking about right now. But maybe you have no idea. Maybe you're not sure what the action step is. So let me just get very practical with you as we kind of wrap this up. First of all, let me just ask, do you have a budget? Do you know what a budget is? A budget says, here's all the money we're bringing in, and here's all the money that's going out. And listen, here's the key. This has to be less than this. And you can't know that unless you actually begin to write it down. Here's where I'm spending money. So get a budget. You know, we do this in premarital counseling. Every couple that goes through our premarital counseling, we talk about finances. Why? Because it's the number one thing couples fight about. Why? Because we don't take responsibility. And so I got some sheets in the back there as you leave. If you're like, yep, that's the action step God's asking me to take. I need to do a budget. There's a very simple budget sheet you can take on your way home. Or there's other ones that are on the, on the web that are great at too. Peggy and I, my wife, we use an app. It's called Good Budget. You can get that on your phone. Pull it out right now. Type in a budget app. Or Dave Ramsey has an app as well called, uh, I think it's called Every Dollar. You're just tracking. You're being a good steward of what God has given you. Maybe you're hearing today going, I just have so much debt. I don't know what to do. Let me give you two opportunities. Number one, as you know, if you've been a part of Cherry Hills, we have a subscription to Right Now Media. It is free to every person in this church, and there are amazing resources on there. One we want to highlight in light of this message is by Dave Ramsey called Life, Money, and Hope. It's just three weeks, and Dave Ramsey's going to talk about debt. Or even better, we've had the privilege for a number of years now to be able to offer Financial Peace University right here at Cherry Hills, and it's starting up again coming up in February. It's an awesome class. Nobody I've talked to who's taken it hasn't been grateful that they have. Is that the action step that God might be asking you to take? If so, drop by the ministry center desk on your way out. You can register for that today. Those are just some very practical ways that we can begin to get our hands around this stewardship thing. For the rest of us, I think it just simply comes down to how am I going to live this life God's given me? in such a way that I can stand before him one day and hear those words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray right now that each of us in this room will sense the difference between your conviction and condemnation. You are not a God who condemns. But there are things in my life and in our life that sometimes need to have light shined on them. And that's a good thing. 
don't change by fear or guilt or shame. We change by repenting, saying what you say about things and believing, stepping into obedience. So I pray for each of my brothers and sisters this morning that they would know that the greatest desire of your heart is that when they stand before you, that you will be able to say, well done. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for the way you lived your life and invested the resources I gave you. Enter into my joy now for all eternity. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.